In this episode, I'm going to let you in on a conversation I had with Barton Ramsey and one of our great CGA members, Tom Foreman. We're going to dive in, talk through some of the challenges that are faced when creating a great gundog. And we're also going to talk about how to overcome some of those challenges. So listen up close. You might pick up some really great tips. Let's get started. You're listening to the Build From Here podcast, a podcast for the hunter and sporting dog enthusiast alike. Join your host, Joshua Parvin, as he interviews retriever owners and discusses the trials and triumphs that lead to a great gun dog. Build From Here is presented by Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy, online resources to help you train your retriever. Now, your host, Joshua Parvin. Welcome to episode number six of the Build From Here podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Parvin. We've got Barton Ramsey on with us, and we also have a very special guest, CGA member Tom Foreman, and we're super excited to be talking through Tom's story and just how he got to where he is. How's it going, Tom? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me. Man, we're glad to have you on here. We've been very much looking forward, um, very much looking forward to this how, how's your day been going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Another hot, hot one here in uh, northern Illinois. Uh, just got done uh, doing a little training with Rip here about an hour ago. So That's awesome. I uh, worked on, uh, on some lining drills, but uh, we're, we're plugging along. Keep, keep working at it every day. So That's what it takes. I'm good. Just got to get through that heat. It's pretty rough around here, too. It just... Absolutely. Pretty much only very early morning training at this point, but you know, I was outside the day and it kind of felt a little in the shade. It felt, I felt like a little breeze, just kind of a hint of hint of fall, or maybe maybe it's just in my head. Though I've been thinking about fall yeah, and hunting season. Probably, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, for those that don't know you, let, let's let's talk about um, you know your background. Tell me a little bit about just you know your life story, where you grew up, your family. Let, let's let's go there first. Sure, sure. I uh, I grew up in uh, Cary, Illinois, um, which is in the northern part of uh, Illinois here. Um, I went to high school at Cary Grove High School. From there, uh, I got a baseball scholarship and played uh, baseball at Illinois State wow. University for, for four years, which was a, uh, a great time, great time. Uh, we were in the Missouri Valley Conference, and uh, at that time in the late 80s, early 90s, that was a pretty... Uh, pretty intense conference there's a lot of a lot of teams that were making it to the college world series it seemed like every year back then wow um from there uh you know i've always uh my father was always a, a big waterfall hunter and uh that's kind of what i grew up doing was always waterfall hunting i never did turkey or deer until later in my life uh just meeting some some friends that you know branched out from the waterfall and invited me along to do some deer hunting and stuff like that. And then I kind of slowly picking up on, uh, on, uh, deer hunting and some, some big game hunting. I went on a bear hunt for my 40th birthday. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's been good. A lot of fun. So I've been pretty fortunate to, to be able to do some of those things and, uh, travel outside the state here and, and go on some big hunts, uh, fell in love with turkey hunting and, Every year, I try to try to branch out to maybe a different state and uh, chase the turkeys in the springtime. And the summertime, I, I uh, loved uh, loved the muskie fish. And uh, my in-laws have a place up in northern Wisconsin, uh, in the Eagle River, Wisconsin area. And uh, 
I actually just got back from there uh, this week. I was up there all week. Uh, yeah, I was seeing the pictures. Uh, yeah, I got a few. It wasn't wasn't hot and heavy like I was hoping, but uh, it's always nice. Uh, any muskie is a good muskie in my mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, just getting so, out and fishing is fun too. I mean, I, I, oh, I yeah, should fish absolutely. more often than I do, but it's um, that's it, a fun experience. How how old were you when you went on your your first waterfowl hunt? Uh my first waterfowl hunt, I was about six years old, and I killed my first duck. Uh, it was a hen ringbill out of blind number two in Grass Lake. Man. <laughs> and I'm sitting here looking at it right now. I still have a mountain. So. Wow. That's big. Yep. Can't yep. beat those experiences for the, the very first time. So you said, did you, yeah. your dad yeah, took I you for the up, first I, time? I'm, I'm sorry, what? You said your dad took you, is the one who introduced you to waterfowl? Yeah. I'm assuming he was on on the hunt with you and took you for your first hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we hunted mostly, uh, open water, um, in the grass, lake uh, Channel lakes area in, uh, in my area here, it's just mostly open water. And then, uh, as I got older and you know, it seemed like, uh, I, uh, ended up, you know, after college, I got my master's degree down at Southern Illinois university. And I did a lot of walking hunting in, uh, Carlisle Lake, um, about centrally Southern part, uh, of Illinois, it's a public area, and you know, they just had walk-in impoundment areas where we'd, uh, you know, everybody line up at the gate at 4 a.m. and race <laughs> to your spot type thing. You know, <laughs> back then that's that's all I had to do, and you know, and that's what we did. So one guy would race his spot, and the other guy would be the mule uh, packing the decoys and everything else out. So, but uh, it was some it was some great hunting back then. You know, we uh, we shot a lot of birds there, so it was fun, good times. Yeah, that's, I understand the public land hunting, but hey, that's you got to put in the work, and you know it's worth it. it. It's fun to get on those public land hunts, and and you know have to really get out there and earn it. Not that you don't have to earn it in any other hunt; they're all hard. You all have to, you all have to work hard. But there's something special about getting out there. Oh, and, absolutely! And, and to be honest, you know, I learned so much of just you know when you when you get out to your spot at you know your time you get out there, you're probably like four thirty in the morning and. You know, you got hundreds of, hundreds of ducks, you know, swimming around you in the standing <laughs> corn, you know, you know, flooded cornfields. And and just to be able to sit there and listen to the, the sounds that the different species of birds make, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive, pretty impressive. And then, you know, like clockwork, they get pretty smart and they get up like 10 minutes before shoot time and they all fly <laughs> out and get up slowly wait for them to come back if they do, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So... Tell me about that bear hunt. I've never, I've never been bear hunting, but I, I've seen the shows, and that sounds like a lot of fun. Would you do it again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, a buddy of mine and I, uh, we went up to uh, Saskatchewan, and uh, we actually drove us like a twenty-three hour drive with an outfitter, Buck Paradise Outfitters. You might have heard of them. They uh, actually have done a lot of Grant Kuipers have done a lot of uh, waterfall hunts up there. Um, I know Fred Zink's been up at his place several times in the past. And uh, we went up there in the springtime and uh, just, uh, you know, we were with guides, obviously, and they set us up on a tree. And the, the first night I was up there, I told myself I wasn't going to shoot a bear the first night. And, and, and I didn't. You know, I saw several bears, and it was it was a really, really cool experience. I've never seen that. And just to kind of watch them in their element, you know, chasing each other around and chomping and the sounds they make, like, holy cow. Oh, <laughs> But uh, I, I held out to the second day, and I was like, oh, I better, better try to get one for my second day. And I sure enough had a, had a nice uh, boar come in uh, 
on the second day, and I got him with my archery equipment and uh, heard the death moan. He didn't go more than 50, 60 yards and piled up in the in the bush, they call it, up there. So wow. called my guide on the radio, and uh, he came, came to my stand, and we uh, he went in front of me with his uh, slug gun, you know, just in case, because <laughs> it's pretty... Pretty thick stuff that you're walking through and not knowing what's around. So I was obviously behind him tracking that bear down. But uh, wow, we got him and in the mountain. I uh, had a rug made out of him, so it was uh, it was a it was a great time, great hunt. Man, that, that's exciting. What yeah. um, I, I know you you work in the outdoor industry. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I actually don't work work in the outdoor industry. Uh, okay, I've um several years for 15 20 years i worked in environmental consulting is what i've done mm-hmm. in the past and then after i stopped doing that i um um started buying and uh flipping homes rehabbing them fixing them up so i've done a lot of that a lot of construction stuff the last few years my background uh, you know building finishing basements and kitchens and stuff like that and uh, i've always been involved with a company called uh Tacticam and hardcore decoys, and I just kind of help them out. As far as with Tacticam, they're um, if, if you're not familiar with them, they're point of view cameras um, through to basically to film film your own hunt. You know, just That's share awesome. your hunts uh, with, with with the public. And you know, I was able, fortunate enough to kind of get on with them in the very beginning when they were first starting. And uh, I uh, I mostly now I mostly do a lot of goose hunting and uh, and just dry dry egg you know fields and I captured so much footage with, with their cameras and, you know, when they would go to these trade shows and they had all these sizzle reel videos and of all my videos <laughs> and stuff and just kind of always kind of just kept feeding them and, you know, feeding them videos and they loved it and just kind of been with them ever since. So, wow. and right now I'm, I'm actually like one of their team leaders for the state of Wisconsin and Illinois. And I have a bunch of team members underneath me that, uh, work a lot of banquets for, like Ducks Unlimited events, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Pheasants Forever. I mean, you name it, any conservation organization, um, we have guys that uh, will work uh, work events and help promote and uh, raffle off cameras and show people how to use them and stuff like that. And they just, they just, uh, just within the last two weeks, they just uh, launched their new uh, trail camera called uh, the Reveal cellular really? camera. Yeah takes a picture of um, emotion deer hunters for deer hunters mostly uh, and uh, pictures go right to, the cell, to their cell phone which is uh, um, it, it's just gone gangbusters in, um, in the last few weeks for them so it's been great yeah that's useful now for the uh, the, the cam that goes on the gun I've looked into it a little you feel yeah. like it's helped you a lot with your shooting yeah, you know, it, 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 it's not, you might be thinking like, uh, I think it's called shot cam that kind of shows you where you're shooting. Yes. Um, this actually, they do have an option in the app where you can put like a red dot on. So when you review your footage, you can actually see where your dot is pointed when you fire fire the gun, which is pretty cool. That's neat. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, 100%. You can actually tell if you're below the bird, if you don't hit it or, or wherever you're aiming, you can see where that that point of impact is by, by the red dot. And it's just an option you can have on your app. You could either have that on or off during your filming. Yeah. That's nice. You can turn that on or off. That's pretty neat. So yeah, how, yeah, how, you should, uh, you should check them out and uh, look into it. They're, uh, they're nice to have it, especially if you want to, you know, capture some of your, 
videos on on film or your hunts on film. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll I'll check into it. I mean, that always gets you excited, especially if you got birds coming in in close and you can really really see them. See, that would just be oh, that's an incredible view. So I've been, um, you know, one other thought I, I was considering is dogs. So you're into waterfowl and you're in, you're into a lot of other hunting. How, how did you get into dogs? What was your first experience? Have you always grown up uh, with them or? No, no, I've always, uh, I've always wanted to have a lab for, for hunting. Um, but my, my parents never, um, didn't, didn't, didn't want me to have a dog. They thought it would be too much work and stuff like that. And with me being in baseball, I'd be gone so much and not be able to take care of the dog. It was one of those things. So, um, my first experience with a lab or training a lab was when I first met my, my, my wife, um, obviously my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, she had about a two year old, uh, yellow lab. And once I started dating her, I, in, 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 you know, told her I did a lot of hunting. I, I would slowly start, uh, working with, the with the lab. I'd bring, you know, geese home or ducks home and kind of try to get the, get the dog to fetch him up and stuff like that. And he, uh, he finally caught on good enough to where I started hunting with him. And so I trained him, uh, from there after he passed on, I, um, the next lab I, I, I purchased, uh, was a lab from Wild Rose Kennels. Uh, his name is Drake and I had him for, for 10 years and he unfortunately got, uh, cancer, uh, oh, two man. years ago. And yeah, when I, it was, a it was a heartbreaker and, um, you know, two years ago, we, we started hunting in the early season in September and we shot a couple birds and sent them out for him. And he, you know, he ran out there pretty good and picked them up and was just walking back with them. And I was just, man, he's never, never did that before. And I just kind of contributed, well, you're 10 years old and, you know, maybe that's just going to be your pace this year. And, um, just kind of keeping an eye on him. I noticed he was having some other issues going in the bathroom a lot and more so than he ever did. And I thought, well, I better go take him to the vet and took him to the vet. And they, just, I was explaining to them what I've been noticing and they, uh, took an x-ray of him and they said he pretty much lit up like a Christmas tree mm-hmm. and it was just loaded from, just loaded up with cancer, uh, and they gave him three months, to, three months to live, and that was in December, about December twelfth, um, when he was diagnosed. And our season closed on January seventeenth, and he made it all the way through the hunt season, killed a limit of birds over him on the last day of the season. Man. His second to last bird he retrieved was a band of goose that I had shot. Really? And then wow. he passed, yeah, and then he passed away ten days later. Oh man. Um, which was, uh, yeah, just, as you yeah. all know, we, we go through that and it's probably, it's probably one of the hardest things that, that we all do because we get so attached to these animals. But, uh, and, uh, you know, after he, I, I had lost him, I had actually had called Barton and, uh, you know, got in touch with him and, you know, I just saw a lot of, uh, great things on social media, how, uh, Southern Oak Kennel was involved with, you know, photography. I like to take a lot of pictures and stuff and, saw that you, you know, are so involved in like have a lot of likes that I like, I basically put it that way. And, uh, yeah. heard some great things and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this kennel a try and, uh, go from there and, uh, put that deposit down and I'm trying to remember the, the litter that I picked and it was red, but I can't remember the, 
the female, but uh, she didn't come in the heat and didn't have a litter. And then Burton's like, hey, but I got this other dog, and they're ready to go in three weeks. I'm like, oh, my God, I was thinking the springtime, <laughs> but it's here right December. And, you know, am I ready for this? Am I ready to start this process all over again? And, and I like, and I told my kids, and my, my, I've got a daughter that's in college. She goes to the University of Georgia, and my son's a junior in high school. And I said, guys, you know, you know, I can get this dog now. Should we get it now? And they're like, no, no, you know, of course I can it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's nobody's here around to help because she's off at college, and you know, my son is doing his thing, and you know, high school student. So, but anyhow, we uh, we got yeah. that, uh, got ripped between uh, from Red and Finn out of uh, the Fox Ridge Kennel in uh, Kentucky, Kentucky with uh, Miles. So it was. Uh, been going strong ever since so wow yeah yeah i remember when that happened because we uh we were i think you were originally on the ella litter Ella, yep um, that's it yep and Thank uh yeah. and then Finn had a huge litter what was it like 11 so it was a big litter of pups. yeah there were quite a few uh, in there absolutely and so we had a couple extra i was like hey this this guy is a great uh great candidate for one of these pups so yeah i'm glad the timing worked out when it was when it yeah, happened no, for sure Absolutely. Well, it's been going good. So very happy so far. So you're in the middle, you're in the heat of training right now. You're kind of in the, the middle of things, not quite to get the dog ready for, for hunting season yet, but you're well on your way. What has been one of your, your best moments with, uh, with your new pop rip so far? All the best. I mean, the best moments is just seeing them progress really. You know, we start so slow with taking baby steps and, and then for them to be able to see uh, them master a skill, whether it be a, a hand signal turning, you know, in the back direction, turning in the, turning the right way, or, you know, just delivery to hand. It was before when I first got him and I would do a few short retrieves with him. I mean, he never would hold it. And the time he would get to me, he'd always be dropping it and you know, you work on those things and the amount of time that you put into it and you see them succeed, it is very rewarding. And, uh, so those are always, uh, the best experiences for me. I'm always anticipating to the next, the next week of training or, you know, what, what's going to be different this week and how's he going to progress and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I've enjoyed the most of it so far. It's awesome. Tell me about the, uh, about whole conditioning. Josh and I talked on the, I think episode one, right, Josh, about, I was working through that with, um, ice, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a journey and some dogs are super easy in that step. Some dogs are, are real short. Uh, so what, what's that been like for you with, uh, your pup and how's that gone? Um, it's actually gone pretty good. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I started rip on a table in my basement. I would put him up on a table and I was solely him to hold something and he's always done a fairly good job of just holding it like on a table and stuff like that um but recently i've been noticing i've actually talked to josh about this and sent him some videos that i've noticed when he's bringing the bumpers back that the bumper is almost like floating in his mouth or he always seems to be adjusting it um you know he'll pick it up nine out of ten times he'll pick it up properly and like right in the center. Now, when he's coming back, say a 50 yard retrieve or a 30 yard retrieve, and he's running and panting because it's so hot, I can see him raising his head up, not not taking it out of his mouth, but it's just, it's just, you can tell it's floating. 
So he'll pick it up in the middle. By the time he gets to the place for it back to me, he might have just the corner of it. You know, not like a mm-hmm. cigar hold, but he'll have the corner of it. And, you know, I've, I've been working with Josh, and he gave me some pointers this week on what to do. And today I really focused on that and uh, did some uh, recall with, with the bumper in front of him and pick it up and come right to me. And he did uh, two or three really good in a row. So then I did some short memory work with him, and he actually did pretty well today. I was very happy with his progress today, what he did. Um, but uh, with that, I mean, that's, that's kind of little thing that I've noticed as far as the whole thing. Everything is going pretty good, but except for that, that's the only thing that I'm noticing is that it's just floating in his mouth. And I didn't know at first if it was just the heat because it's so darn hot and he's panting or, or, or what, but uh, – it just didn't. It just doesn't look right when he's coming back with it. Put it that way. So I knew something wasn't right. So yeah, we've we've definitely seen it. I actually just experienced that a few minutes ago with the dog. I just put through through the whole conditioning, all the steps, and man, it was a chore, the most difficult one I've ever had to do that with. And uh, we're back to the field now, and same thing. But I have noticed it's far worse when it's hot. And it, it it progressively gets worse in our training session when he gets hot. I can see it's, he's trying to pant with it. I mean, you have to think about how yeah, dogs that, cool off. You know, they're cooling off with their tongue, and that's where exactly. the air is evaporating. Right. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's that's why I wasn't sure. Maybe because I'll be honest with you, he, he does not like the heat. I mean, you know, we can go outside, and he, he wants to come right back in, you know. He like he. My wife takes takes my dog running. You know, about every other morning or every morning, she'll take him out for a short little jog, and you know, around six o'clock in the morning, it's fairly. You know, it's not like it is in the middle of the day, obviously. But uh, and he does fine with that. But and then I train him either late, late morning, or I'll do it uh, real late in the evening if it's really hot out. I'll go out about eight o'clock. But he, uh, yeah. But when he's panting and, and trying to bring that thing back, I think floating in his mouth for sure. Yeah, it's hard. I, it's really hard to. How, how do you stop that, or how do you correct him when he's you know, twenty thirty yards out coming at you? And you know, I, I, some tips that Josh had had provided to me is once I see that first floppy, you know, flip of the bumper in his mouth to get a better hold on it when he's coming back is to is to kind of just yell like, "Hey," you know, and then and what you know after he comes back and walk him out to that spot where he did that sit him down i put the bumper in his mouth and then i just hit you call him back to me and you know today he did he did pretty good you know it was the, i don't know if it was just you know today was just the first time but uh you know i'm going to be working on that a ton sure. if it takes me two or three weeks to be at week 25 so be it i mean i'm not going to rush it and you know i just i just want him to be the way i want to be you know yeah. so yeah i'm not hurt you, you, you can get pretty too. caught up in watching guys look oh i got this Six-month-old dog that's doing triples and blinds, and okay, <laughs> so you, you you can't you can't get caught up into what other dogs are doing. You got to read your own dog, as, as far as I'm concerned. So that's kind of how I am about training dogs. So yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, and and I I agree with going out and you know replacing the bumper, fixing it around heel for sure. You know, when it comes back at heel, hey here's how you hold it, put it right back where it's supposed to go. Hold. Okay, yep. Rem- remind him, hold. That's what I mean by that when I say hold. Uh, with with Iceman today, when I would see him kind of bobbling the dummy like it was floating and 
sliding out the side of his mouth, and he barely got a grip on it. He's trying to get his tongue out the other side of his mouth. Yeah, exactly. I just kind of pop the bumper up square, hold, good boy, real quick, take it, you know. And uh, another thing that's helped, a couple things that have helped. Number one, getting the dog wet at the beginning of the training session. Uh, that helps because then they, they're evaporating water the entire time. Um, even if it's just a quick little like dip in the pool or I'll spray them under their belly with a water hose just as we go out so that there's some more evaporation taking place. Ah, okay. Um, okay. And then the, there, there is a, a type of dummy out there that I actually really like. Um, I like canvas dummies. I like the ones we have on the CGA store. That's my go-to dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for just about everything that we do. But when it's really hot, um, there's this dummy. I don't know if you guys have seen them. They're called, I believe they're called Airflow. Um, and they, they kind of they have cuts. They're slits. In, it's, it's shaped like a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, would, it would be like a, a, like a star if you stretched a star out. You know what I mean? Like it's got divots mm-hmm. in it. Anyway, they, they're good weight. Uh, they, they throw really well and, uh, I don't like using hard plastic dummies that like these yeah. a ton, but they allow some air to come into the dog's mouth while they're holding the dummy. And oh, it, okay. it does make a little bit of a difference. Uh, but the other part of that is just trying to maintain the standard at heel, uh, and realizing that even, even my dog, even red, you know, your dog's fire, yeah. he'll, he'll hold a bumper looser when he's hot, uh, you know, it's mostly genetic then because that's exactly what he's doing. Well, all my all my dogs will do that when it's hot. They'll all okay. you, you can just see them just kind of teasing it a little bit and and not chopping at it, but moving it over. Just they're just it's like you and I. If I went on a run in the middle of the day and I'm panting for air and trying right. to have something in my mouth, you know. Uh, so so are you, Barton? Are you okay with your dog doing that as long as he's not dropping it? Obviously, I mean. What I don't like is is I don't want them to slide it out to where they're just holding the side or the right. or the rope or the yeah. corner. I want it to be square, um, and I might at heel just tap them under the chin a little bit and say hold, just a reminder. You can't, you know, don't drop it. Um, but I don't force the issue too bad at the, at this point. Um, I've not really seen a lot of dogs do that when it's cooler out, and I've mm-hmm. not seen a lot of dogs do that with birds. Um, birds can be a whole different issue. The biggest thing is you just don't want them to drop it. You know, you don't want them right, sitting it. Right, exactly. Um, so a good hold like that is nice. And, and if he's holding it sloppy and then dropping it, then, yeah, I would want to really reinforce it. If he's holding it sloppy because he's burning up hot and trying to catch some air, you know, I would just gently correct it at heel. Good boy, take it until he, he understands when you say the word hold. That, oh shoot! I can't bobble it. I got to hold it right, you know. Um, right. But I, so like, I, if like a lot, a lot of times I'll before my I do my training sessions, I'll do some healing uh, without a bumper in his mouth, and then um, then I will place a bumper in his mouth and heal. And if he, and if he, because obviously he's not exhausted in the beginning, and but if I do catch him trying to adjust it in his mouth, what what would you? How would you correct it? Like if you see him at heel and he, and he and he's doing good, and all of a sudden he like kind of raises his head to to just move it a little bit in his mouth. Do you, do you stop him right there, or what? What command would you say? Yeah, no I do. Or, I, use, I use I use the command hold, and if he's disobeying the command hold, I would say no, and then readjust the dummy into his mouth and say hold. 
Um, you say because, hold when he's so you say hold when he's actually doing it properly. Correct. It, once, correct. You, once you see that flip in his mouth, it's like it's a no or an ah or whatever. And correct, whatever you're using okay. for correction, and then hold. And gotcha. and you at this point, starting on the table where you started and going through the process, you have taught him what hold means. You know, hold right. is a command. Uh, so think of it as any other command. If your command is heal and you're walking and you say heal, then you expect him to be at heel. And if all of a sudden he takes two, three steps to the left, and he's now four or five feet away from you, you know, your response is no heel. And right, you say heel right. with a little bit of a different inflection, like, Hey, heel. Sure. You know what I mean, and then as soon as he's back to heel, it's good boy, good boy, you know, and then off you go. Um, so gotcha. it's more of making sure that and timing is super important on that because you want him to recognize this correction is because I was doing that with the, with the dummy, you know, sure. it's because sure. I, was, I was bobbling it. And that may take a little bit of time. Yeah. If he's been taught correctly what hold means, then he'll, he'll figure it out. And, uh, like I said, fall is not, not approaching as soon as I think Josh wants it to with the breeze this morning. And we had a similar morning <laughs> the other day where it was cool, yeah. and I was like, man, I can't wait. I even posted on the Southern Red Kill Instagram the other day, and I was like, I can't wait. I can't wait till I wake up and have to put a hoodie on, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But uh, it is it is a person, and I think a lot of those issues will resolve when it cools off. Um, okay. You know, I, I've seen other dogs that when it gets hot, I've got a, a puppy that's not a Labrador I'm working with right now, and it's hot, and when he gets hot, playing fetch or anything like that he just decides he doesn't want to do it anymore so he just takes his, his dummy and goes 10 feet away from me and lays down like i'm not even coming back oh know? wow okay and uh yeah it's like I'm, I'm telling you i'm hot i don't want to do this anymore and i don't really force that issue heck I'm right. what, I, I don't want to go outside with a fur coat on and uh, yeah run, right run exactly. rent, you know so exactly so other than that how's it been going with your pup i mean what if what have been some you, you mentioned you've enjoyed seeing him kind of progress along the way and I've been right. on social media. Any other challenges you face? Yeah, like the, the 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 one other challenge I'm actually facing right now is um, him just taking off. Mm. Just taking off and, you know, disobeying the the hear, disobeying the, the whistle beeps. Um you know, I lost him just this week. For almost 45 minutes, as soon as we got to our cabin up in northern Wisconsin, let him out of the car, and um, you know, I was unloading the car, and he was in front of the yard, and he had something in his mouth. I don't know, can't remember what it was offhand, but I was trying to get him to come to me because I wanted to take it from him. And he got down off fours and looked at me like, "Okay, I want to play keep away type thing." And I said, "No, here." And he just took off, ran up the hill, and I think he, he got scent of a deer or something and he was back and forth up and down these hills and I had to go in the house and I mean it's pretty thick woods and I had to go in the house and get shoes and socks on and you know and I went up there and he was gone it took 45 minutes before I found him and uh yeah that's frightening and it not only and, and and so I had him on his leash you know tied out for most of the week and then my wife and uh my son and some of his buddies came up north and you know, he was pretty good around all of us and took him off that, that long leash. And uh, two other times, he just took off, just took off and, and ran up the hill. And, and so two other times, it had so a total of three times this week, he just bolted and took off on us and took a long time to, to get him to come back. And um, I well, actually, one other time I was out training with him in uh, 
wide open field, just a short baseball field, grass field, doing some work with them. And I was healing him out to do a memory. He was at my side healing with me. And then he just, just took off and just, uh, just took off like a dart right out in front of me. And I had him on the long lead and I grabbed it and just rope burn all the way across all my fingers. And, you know, I let go. I mean, it was like excruciating, you know, burn across my fingertips <laughs> trying to stop him. And, oh, my God, and he was gone. And he took off out there across that field, running up and down all over the place. And, you know, finally I got up to him and was able to grab the rope and get him back. But, yeah, that's, I mean, my my biggest fear is, like, either this dog's going to get take off and get hit by a car or, or he's gonna I'm going to lose him. Sure. And those two things are, scare me to death. Um, you know, I, some other times in the last couple of weeks, he did that. He saw a rabbit in this big field where I do a lot of my training in. And it's a real small little woodlot, but, you know, it's next to a pretty major road. Um, you know, we're, we're training probably 200 yards away from the road. But when he saw that rabbit, he, you know, he took off and he was right next to the road in the woodlot. I'm like, oh, my God, just don't go across the road. You know, I'm. And, uh, you know, he, he comes back, but it, 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 scares, it scares the heck out of you. Let me tell you. I mean, you just, yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about, like, when he, because I think that there are a lot of people who deal with this. I don't think it's, uh, I, I mean, we, we see a lot of, of threads posted about it. And particularly with, you know, adolescent age dogs somewhere mm-hmm. when, they, when they get a little bit more independent and they're in that, you know, anywhere from yeah. seven, eight, nine months. To 12 14 months old right you see them really resisting recall a lot at least some dogs personality of the dog sure. um well, well let me let me as far as i can when i can compare rip compared to my other dog drake and i when i would get mad at drake or when i did get mad at him you know i can give a firm no in a stare and walk very boldly right at him and he would lay down and look up straight at me and just like look at me like, don't you know? Yeah, I give up. Yeah, you know, I give up. Yeah. Now with Rip, I'll do the same thing: a firm no and walk boldly right at him. But once I get to about a foot of him, boom, he takes off. Come get me, chase me. It's just the yeah. complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. So he's <laughs> so, yeah, so soft and maybe a little bit more. No, flighty. he's got like, uh, you know, he does have his. Or he's trying to have his own little independence at time, but uh, I just hope it doesn't cost his life. You know, because it scares you. I mean, you just and you don't have that control, and like you know, he's so far away from me, or you don't see him. You know, I don't. I'm not a firm believer in a shock collar. I've had three labs my whole life. I've not once ever had a shock collar on my dog other than we've had some electrical fences in the yards. But other than that, I've never, ever used it for, for training. I've always just tried to, you know, do it through, um, you know, positive reinforcement and stuff like that. So what is, uh, what, when he, when he does the deal where you're kind of, you know, he knows that you're obviously frustrated and you're taking a few steps toward him and then you get close and he decides I'm, I'm going to bolt over here. What have you done in response to that usually? Uh, most times I, I mean, I never, I never try to chase after them. I mean, have I? Yes. At times. Cause I'm trying to either cut them off from a road or try to get in front of them. Right. Um, but a lot, like the first time I lost him over the weekend when he took off on the field, 
I was beating my whistle and, and I finally saw him pop out of the woods and he just stood there and kind of looked at me, sitting down, look at me. It was probably about 150 yards away. I thought of him and I would just call his name and I turned around and walked away from him. And I actually started running away from him and I'd look over my shoulder and he, he was coming. I mean, he was so exhausted that on our walk back home, I mean, he'd lay down, he just like plopped. I mean, he was done. Right. I mean, he was foaming at the mouth because he was running so much for so long that he he was exhausted. When he got to the lake, he just laid in there and just like just just submerged himself. Sure. You know? But that's my and and there's other been times too where when he does come back, I've scolded him for it, and it's I know it's it's not right, um, but man, it, it's so hard to oh good boy, yeah. you're back now after you were gone for 45 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's more frustrating than a dog that refuses. So whatever, like what, that, whatever yeah. yeah, whatever advice I'm, I'm open for because I just, I don't want my dog to get killed. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say a few things and I'll let Josh speak to it. Cause sure, Josh sure, yeah, go good. for it. He's, he's helped uh, quite a few guys kind of overcome this, and, and I yeah. think part of it is maturity too. But you know, the scolding issue. Um, if you. My rule of thumb has always been if you prevent it and you know they were trying it or if you catch them, then you're good to get on to them. If they come back on their own, no matter what it is that you did, then you, you if you get on to them, you're doing the opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Uh, <laughs> and it's tough, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fewer things are more frustrating than that. But, you know, for instance uh, – a buddy of mine I was training with and he had a dog that um, she was sort of similar. She was really soft and she would, um, if she thought that she was, was, you know, about to be put under some type of pressure or made to do something, you would see her just, she would just bolt off and she would stay like 20 feet away from you. You know, like I'm, I'm not, I, I won't run off, but I'm going to stay close. You know, I, you know, I, you can't touch me sort of thing. So she, uh, she was training with us and she had a slip lead on, but she was just sitting on a Momars behind us. And I was next to the dogs and my buddy was training a different dog. And, uh, she stepped off of the Momars like she was going to break. And he turned around and just verbally corrected her and she took off. Well, she happened to be passing me. And as she was, I stepped on the leash mm -hmm. and stopped her. Well, that's a situation where, you know, he can issue a pretty firm correction. Okay. Uh, she didn't she didn't come back she was in the act and he's punishing the act of running away but then it was immediately followed up with praising her for doing the right thing which was sitting back up on the Momarsh, not not running off sort of thing right, uh, right sort of a jekyll and hyde like all right good girl now this is what you're supposed to do the whole time See, it's not so bad here you are um but if if she had run off and and refused to come back and then finally he you know, whatever it is, got down on all fours or sat down on the grass and called her and she came back or walked away or whatever, then that's a situation where you, you've got to turn off the emotion, yeah. you know. And yeah, I know. I, okay. to do. Uh, yeah, but walking, yeah. walking away does help. And then maybe finding, you know, so I had a dog who was difficult with recall. And, uh, I mean, this dog would go in the back of the field here and I would call him and he would go get in the pond and stand three or four feet in the water and just stare at me. Like, I know you're not coming in here. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> man, it was frustrating, but I found that that dog really, really loved tennis balls. Like that was his favorite thing. 
So I just carried one in my training bag all the time. And when I did that, I just get the tennis ball out and start throwing it around and up he would run. No, I really want that tennis ball. Um, and that would fix it. And, you know, maybe with, with your dog, it's not tennis balls. Maybe it's a real bird, a bird wing or, you know, something. Oh, he, lo- he loves tennis and, balls. <laughs> yeah, tennis balls. He does. Fine. You know, if you've yeah. got something like that and hey, here, but. The other part is trying your best to prevent it too, and just knowing your dog. Uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth two pounds of cure, whatever it is. And and yeah. saying, hey, look, I know that at this point in time, Rip has a tendency if he smells some sort of wild animal to take off after it. So it's you know he's coming out of the car on lead, and he's not going to be off a fifty foot check cord for the next you know day or two until we thought we can trust them or whatever it is right just trying to prevent it um and building some boundaries around it because you know if you think from the dog's perspective if he's learned i can run away and chase after this thing that that i think smells good or just run away and free run and do my own thing and if i go back to him he's mad so i don't want to go to him he's obviously frustrated right now Uh, it was my mentor who originally taught me this because I had a dog run off at his place and chasing some ducks by the pond and I'm screaming and he's like, Hey, listen to yourself. Do you think that you would want to come back to you right now? Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. good, point. good point. You know, <laughs> right. I probably would not. So, yeah. you know, it's uh man, it's tough. It's definitely an issue to work through. And I'll let Josh yeah, share a little bit. Cause I know Josh has, has worked with some dogs that are similar and, uh, has helped some people work through that as well. Oh yeah. You know, I'll just, I'll just add too real quick. You know, when Rip was, just a young when I first picked him up and socialized him too. I mean, we, I love to do a lot of shed hunting and, and we would, I would take him all over. I mean, we walked all over the place, hundreds of miles, you know, just together. I, you know, I had a long lead on him. And so he, he was associated with a ton of wild smells out, out in the woods, you know, and sure. he did, he did one time take off at some, at some deer and he ran through a cattail marsh and obviously you know, I can't see him in there and I wasn't going in there, but you know, he came back, he came back and he, as a black lab, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, he's, he's been socialized to those smells, but it's just, it's enough to scare you. So I'll let, I'll let Josh add, add, uh, some more insight to that. Hopefully it'll help out. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I love that we're talking about this. Um, this is one of those things that there, there's a lot of different ways you could respond to this. Um, some people respond differently, you know, obviously some are going to be, uh, more heavy handed in their response and, you know, basically just preventing the dog from doing that. There's, but there's, before you even go out and you attempt to fix this, you've got to understand a couple of things and really you got to understand how a dog learns, how their, their mind reacts. Um, and so I'm going to kind of get into the science, but I'm going to keep it basically in layman's term, straightforward and simple because practicality mm-hmm. is the most important thing. Being able to practically do something and understand something is all that matters so that you can successfully help your dog overcome. And this is one of those challenges that, number one, if you're facing it, if you're listening to this and you face it, you just got to understand if you stick with the process, number one, and you trust the process and you put in the work, you're not going to have this problem for forever. You're going to get past this problem. So, you know, one of the things you got, there's two, there's two things here you're dealing with. You're dealing with yourself or myself, the handler, and then you're dealing with the dog. And and there's two things you got, what's going on in your mind. You've got what's going on in the dog's mind. 
And so in, in the handler's mind, it's a lot easier for us to understand that there's thoughts that are going through our mind. Like, Oh my gosh, is my dog about to get ran over? Or, uh, you start thinking in the future, Hey, well, what if I take my dog out and you know, maybe I go to a hunt test or maybe I'm, I'm hunting and I've got all my buddies around and my prize dog that I've been talking. So, you know, talking so highly about just flat out embarrasses me and just, just blows me off and does all of that. So you're thinking about all those and that that's causing you to feel a certain way. That's causing you to start thinking, well, now I've got to stop this because that's unacceptable. We've got to stop it right now. And maybe to the point to where it either gets you angry or frustrated, um, or maybe you're even acting out of just of concern for the dog, making sure that it doesn't get hurt. Then you've got the dog. And this is one of the most important things that you've got to understand as uh, whether you're a professional trainer or whether this is your first dog training. How does your dog think? What is going through their mind? Because it's there's there's two sides to the story, and if you can actually get into your dog's mind and you can actually almost think like the dog and um, and understand what's going on there, then you're going to so much better be able to respond to this situation, and you're going to be able to have much better success. Now, that doesn't mean your dog's not going to run off, especially if you run into a situation where your dog's more prone to do that. Some dogs are. Uh, some dogs are just naturally going to do that. That's not a bad thing, and you can definitely handle that. So let's talk about maybe the dog a little bit. Let's talk about getting into the dog's mind. You know, the first time, it sounds like this is a repeated problem in your situation, but for the first time for the dog, maybe it was just an excitement to go check out a smell. The dog just wanted to go check it out. And one last thing to understand here before we talk more about the dog is that anything that a dog does, the, any behavior that they exhibit only exhibits, it only exists. You're only going to see a dog do something because it's rewarded or reinforced. So it doesn't matter what they're doing. And that doesn't mean you intentionally reinforce something either. So this running off may have not been intentionally reinforced. It may have been accidentally reinforced, or it may have been like a secondary reinforcer of something out uh, outside of your control that reinforced that, as in their natural prey drive. Some dogs are naturally driven to get out and go. Now, in this case, you had a lot of experience going out there going with um, shed hunting, and the dog got excited and wanted to go check things out. At this stage of the game, even though you may have only done this once or twice, and I'm by no way saying that it is definitely not a good thing to do, but I completely understand how you feel and maybe have scolding him when he came back. But that right there sounds to me like he's almost got a bit of a fear response kind of going on, maybe a little bit. And what I mean by that is a fear response. He, he, he's kind of he, he's kind of in the fight or flight mode. And so if he gets any indication at all that you're going to get is upset, especially if you may have scolded him or spanked him when he came back, then he is probably associating whatever's going on at that point in time with that experience in his in his life. And so in that case, maybe he was able to get away and he learned that he could escape the 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 scolding or the pain or whatever it may have been in that situation. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't necessarily mean that's the exact thing um, for this dog, but this is something to think about. And for anybody listening, if your dog's doing this, think about this. Maybe that has happened because I get it. You know, definitely we're scolding them. But in the dog's case, they don't understand discipline as a human does, as we do. So as a human, we can understand, um, we can be punished for something, especially if as kids, we can be punished for something that we did, you know, a while ago. I got punished for stuff that I did at school. Came home, my parents said, this is why you're being punished. I was punished and I understood that. But dogs, they're not, their minds aren't in that, they're not at that level. So therefore, they're not going to be able to correlate maybe what was going on with what they're punished for. And that's why Barton's rule of thumb there is so vitally important. 
you know, even it, it seems against the grain. It seems counterintuitive to when that dog comes back after running around for 45 minutes to say, good dog, you're good, you're good, good dog. And it feels counterintuitive. Right. But that's the exact yeah. right thing to do because the dog is not right. associating in, in the dog's mind. And if you understand the dog's mind, the dog's mind has done forgot about the 45 minutes of running around. It's, yeah, oh, yeah. It's thinking about coming back to you. So that's one of the most important things. Now, well, what do you do when you find yourself in a situation? Maybe you've made a mistake. And, guys, we all make those mistakes where where we make a, a wrong call. It's going to happen. So that's the beauty of it. You've got to recognize it and be able to confront that and be able to deal with those things. And that's what makes someone really good with dogs, being able to overcome those challenges and be able to get to the level that they need to be with that dog based on what's happening. So in your case, well, what could we do to kind of work around this? Well, number one, Barton's rule of thumb, prevention. That's going to be your best bet. And the principle of conditioning is so vitally important here. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, back when I was living at my parents' house, one day they decided to move our silverware drawer to a different drawer. And so this has been there for my whole life. So my normal routine is I come down in the morning, I get uh, I get a coffee or something, and I start mixing that with a spoon and whatnot and do that every morning. So the next morning I come down, guess what drawer I went to? I didn't go to the one that had the silverware in it. I went to the one that used to have the silverware drawer in it. I literally would do that on and off for a period of like the next three or four months because I had become so conditioned to my normal routine that that's what I would go and do. Now, even though I knew it, I would go down there. It's just like a habit, especially when you're tired, you're just kind of going through the motion. So that principle of conditioning bleeds over into dog training. Literally, you can condition your dog to do anything and everything. And so it's all a matter of conditioning them to do the right thing. So in this case, we've got to think, okay, well, right now we're getting a bit of conditioning going to the running off. What can we do instead? So you've got to think through this and think like the dog. Well, you've got to give your dog a reason to want to. If this happens, you need to create a situation that you can get success and prevent them from running off. But number one, don't get too frustrated if they run off. But number two, if, if for some reason your prevention fails, well, what happens when prevention fails? Are we just out of luck? What can we do? Well, one thing that I like to do is redirect attention. So there's a conditioning aspect going on that that dog's going to go chase something or it's going to go explore smell or maybe it's like, well, I don't want to be punished for coming back. I already know I messed up. He said, no, I know I've messed up. I've got to get away because I don't want to be punished. So instead of saying no right away, and you're in a position now where you probably don't want to, you're going to do something else. And, um, and I think at this stage, I can't remember what week you're in, but you're probably about the whistle stop stage or maybe you've done a little whistle stop. What you may want to do is stop the dog on the whistle if you can. Now, if you can't, then you'll have to think of another drill. But this is kind of an idea that I would do. I would stop them on the whistle, and I would hold a bumper, and I would let them see that bumper. Then I would make them perform a command, as in whether maybe you stopped them pretty close to a place board, or maybe you can try recalling him back to you. Now, in your case, the recall is the issue, so he may not want to come back to you. So maybe you, you stop him when he's close to a place board or something, and you have it out. Go ahead and anticipate the situation, what he's going to do. Stop him, cast him over to the place board. When he does something that you asked him to do, you then reward him with a retrieve. And then he's going to go get the retrieve, and at this stage of the game, you've been practicing retrieving so much, he's going to come on back to you. And you've just taken a situation that was about to go off the rails, and you've redirected the attention, and you've gotten success. So... That is one way you could do it, but it's you're going to have to get creative in, in your specific environment, for your specific dog. There's a lot of other you know ways you can redirect that attention 
But in your case, if he started to associate a no or an uh, uh, with I'm about to be punished um, and he knows he can escape and he's not like your other dog, obviously he thinks he's going to escape, then you may not want to use that word. You may want to use something else or create a different association. And then what you will have done is you will have kind of navigated around that. And now it's up to you moving forward to condition the proper behavior and make sure that it's just, and what I mean by that, what I mean by conditioning is repeat it over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes so ingrained that it's like my story where I went down there and went to the wrong silverware drawer uh, multiple times over a period of months because once it's conditioned, they're never going to forget it. And uh, for anyone that, you know, I know we talked a little bit about how do I, what do I do if my dog messes up with a, even with a bumper messes up at 30 yards, how can I correct? So you're not training with an e-collar. And a lot of people wonder how, how can I get my dog to take the bumper right? How can I make sure that they perform the right behavior and through correction? Well, the key is conditioning. If you want your dog to be solid even without an e-collar in this situation, and you don't want to run into that, you're going to have to just repeat it so many times that it becomes completely ingrained. And when you do, it's a it's a learned behavior. It's conditioned. They're not going to veer away from it, especially if you generalize it. That's that's why understanding how a dog learns is so important. That's why we weave that in throughout the whole entire program. Um, but in your yeah. case, it's you know it's don't be upset about it. Don't be frustrated. It happens. So that it happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, thank you for those tips. I know that was a lot. So um, just take it in and slowly apply it. And and but just you know, in in short, let's wrap that up right there. Let's kind of go back over that. In short, get redirect attention. That's one thing you can do, and develop a new positive association and condition it in. And what we mean by that is drill it in until it becomes conditioned in. That's what they do. That's what they know to do. It's kind of like uh, you know, practicing sports. You practice over and over and over so that you, on game day, you get it right. You're ready to show up when when the lights are on, and the crowd's cheering. You knock it out. You've, that's that's what all it's right. all about. And the other the other thing was too is to try to stop it right in the moment that's happening if you can. Yes. Yes. Prevention. You know, like, you know, like I. I <laughs> Now I wear gloves because, like, for me, my instance, I had him at heel and he took off, and I had that 50 foot check cord on. And I grabbed it and, about, you know, put rope burns all across my fingertips. And I had to let go of it. So, yeah. <laughs> now I wear a glove. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> Those things can get a little hot, they can burn you. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but the big thing is, to, you know, for being in the moment, you know, this is some of the trials. This is this is why we, another reason we wanted to do this podcast. This is some of the trials that you, you're going to face. Everybody's battle is different. Right. So this may not be someone's battle, but, you know, no battle is different. Like no battle feels any easier. They're all difficult. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of this sport right. that we love. It's a matter of just getting on the same page with your dog. And when you overcome those challenges and when you get oh, to the place where your dog is, where you want it to be, it makes it that much sweeter absolutely do you have any uh with that being said do you have any tips for your dog stop eating toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) that's a valuable resource these days in the bathroom yeah Yeah. believe me every 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 bathroom door in our house is is closed (laughs) does he grab it and take it like oh yeah he he pees the entire house especially when they're off quarantine for two months straight as you know, toilet paper was like gold, and we'd find it all over the house. You know, he'd grab it and run with that roll, with, you know, up the stairs. And uh, 
Now that <laughs> sounds like a lab to me. Yeah, that sounds like exactly. a lab. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I appreciate all that Josh just said. Just said that's some, some fantastic advice, and uh, hopefully, uh, can be used to get you uh, resolved and, and oh, keep on working along the way, man. Oh, I will. I will. I mean, I enjoy it. You know, I'm fortunate enough where I can train a little bit each day. So, uh, you know, maybe not as long as I'd like to because of the heat that we're dealing with and stuff now. But uh, a little bit is uh, is more than, than anything right now. So whether it's a 10-minute session or an hour session. So we try to get some work in every day that we can. So, well, Absolutely. Barton? Absolutely. Did you have any any closing tips or thoughts to to wrap this up? I feel like we've covered Man, some we super covered good stuff. Yeah, we covered a lot, and I think we covered a lot of what uh, you know many people are dealing with. And so, patience and uh, working through it is definitely key. And uh, you know, the last thing I'll say, I do know some people who fixed that type of issue, and I, I did air quotes when I said fixed by using an e collar. Um, but I, I know one who who did that used an e collar to. Yeah, I hate to say quick fix, but you know that's essentially what he did. And then he went on a trip. Uh, it was either North Dakota or Canada, and forgot his e collar. Oh man! And and really struggled with his dog. It was, it was really sort of sad. He's like, my dog hadn't broken the whole season. Next thing I know, he's breaking constantly. I want to say it was at the end, like maybe a snow goose hunt or something, and the dog was breaking. Couldn't get the dog to come back. Um, he ended up going to a store and buying a different e-collar from like a sporting goods store. And, uh, you know, not to say you can't fix things that way, but you know, like what Josh said, just being patient, building a foundation and then, you know, reinforcing it later with whatever ways you need to, but teaching it the right way, you know, as you're working through is definitely uh, pay dividends in the long end. That's good thoughts there. Absolutely. Great. Definitely. You know, it's, um, uh, just building off of that and last, a last statement. Just understand how your dog learns. Take your time. Think like your dog. And, you know, give them a little grace. Give them some patience. We all make mistakes. Yeah. Think back to our our, yeah. our lives. We all make mistakes. But it takes someone right. believing in you to to help you get through it. And that's what you are as a dog owner and handler. You're you're their coach. You're you're their master. Yeah. You're their leader. And be a great leader. And that's what it's all about. And at the end of the day. Keep, keep your Keep my emotions in check when I need to. <laughs> I have to remind myself of that all the time. <laughs> we all do. It was great talking to you, Tom. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. Super fun conversation. Thanks, everybody. As always, remember, build from here and keep at it. Thanks for listening to the Build From Here podcast. To learn more about retriever training or our podcast, visit cornerstonegundogacademy.com slash podcast. 